This Tome Show production is supported by Noble Knight Games, where out of print is available again, and by listeners like you. Keep using the affiliate links for Amazon and dndclassics.com and support the show while you shop. Welcome to the News Desk. Once a month, we get together to chat about the latest news in D&D, and your two anchors today are me, Sam Dillon. And I'm Jeff Greiner, and we're here to talk about the D&D news from August and September of 2013. And reporting to us from deep inside the ziggurat of White Plume Mountain, Randall, how are things out there in the ziggurat? Really, really busy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, good then. I just saw a manicor walk by. <laughs> Everyone's looking for Black Razor. Yeah. No, nope, I already have it. <laughs> That's why okay, they're everyone's looking. everyone's pro- looking for Wave. <laughs> it's proving more difficult than it was worth. So. <laughs> All right, so we're going to get into the quote lightning round topics. We have more than our typical batch of lightning round topics uh, this time around. Um, and I didn't actually pre-assign them to anybody, so we'll just talk about them as, as they come up, and we'll see. Uh, it has been two months since we've recorded. We skipped uh, August because it was Gen Con month, and we already gave you like a metric ton of news and coverage from Gen Con. So we figured we would just save all of that conversation for this episode. So this may be a little bit longer than your normal news desk, and our lightning round may not be, be as lightning quick as usual. <laughs> Does that sound fair? Fair enough. All right. Sounds fair to me. So let's start with Gen Con. What was announced at Gen Con? What's the big news? Eh, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> You're not entirely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> the final packet. The final right. packet, which we're going to yes. talk about in some more detail in a bit. Yep. The final play t- pl- public playtest packet. Um, and then other than that, I think it was just all video games. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, the Arena of War mobile game that they've been talking about for a while is, is po- supposedly still supposed to come out this, quote, fall. Mm-hmm. Of course, we're running out of fall, but, you know, yeah. that's, that's, we'll see what happens. Um, vaporware. Yeah. <laughs> they, um, this is not the first time we've been promised D&D vaporware, right? <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah, <laughs> until, I have, until I see hard... Hard sheets of code or whatever. Right. I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't yeah. buy it. There, there are certain elements in my life where people tell me things, and I, I honestly believe them, but I'm not acting on it as if it's true until I actually see it happen. Yeah, call um, me skeptical, Jeff. I don't know. Cautiously optimistic. <laughs> I'm beyond that. But okay, okay. <laughs> uh, that's um, fine. <laughs> the other bit uh, that that they announced was the the Lords of Waterdeep is coming out for. Was it just iPad or was it iOS in general? I think it's just iPad. I think yeah, I don't know iPad. that one. Yeah. yeah, so Lords of Waterdeep coming out, um, iPad, and should be awesome, right? Um, any chance I get to play more Lords of Waterdeep, I'm, I'm all, all on board. Plus, they're going to release updates for it, um, I imagine through in-app purchases to add on expansions like the Scoundrels of Skullport expansion. And they talked about the possibility of, po- of doing um, digital exclusive expansions as well. So it may be a whole new element of Lords of Waterdeep by playing on, on your device. Now, can you – is that a group play so you could like log on to a server and connect with someone else and play or is it only uh... – That was my impression, yeah. Oh, oh interesting. Cool. And, and, and it's being done by the same people who did like Ascension mm-hmm. and who have yeah. done the, the Penny Arcade um, card game. Um, and the way those games work is you, know, you don't even have to play at the same time. You know, I can take my turn and then yeah. come back to it right. later in the day or whatever. And so I'm hoping it's like that because I always have time to hop on and play a turn. I seldom have time to hop on and play a game, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that would be awesome. Interesting. Or, 
And then other than that, it was a lot of updates to uh, the MMOs. There's, what, two different mm-hmm. uh, D&D right, MMOs? Right, yep, in, in development, yeah. Well, no, there's two released. There's two that have been out for a while. Yeah, yeah. But, they're bo- they're, but, they're both, but yeah, they're both getting updates and, and yeah. new areas and new stuff. And I don't know. I'm I meant, not an MMO I person. Updates, so. I, I meant updates in development because they kind of talked about a lot of stuff right. <laughs> for the MMOs. So, sure. You know, yeah, they did. It's not, it's not all being dropped at once. Yes. Yeah, and I don't. Other play- than Neverwinter Nights, what's the other MMO? Uh, DDO. DDO. Oh, they st- okay. That's still going. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So you basically have the third edition D and D MMO, and you have the uh, fourth edition D and D MMO, and both of which are, are still active and being and, and right. owned by or licensed by completely different companies. Of course. Even yeah. though they're both playing in the same world. <laughs> well, I, I, th- I think the big news in terms of this particular set of of sort of updates is. You know, they really are pushing D and D as a brand in, yeah. in in a way that they never have before. Um, and if you are a regular listener of the Tome Show, you have probably listened to uh, the episode where we talked to Mike Merles and the brand guy uh, Nathan. What's his name? Stewart. Nathan I, Stewart. I um, it, <laughs> so the thing is, the thing about that. Well, so oh, if that episode gets released before this one, I don't know. Yeah, usually, sure. we, usually we give news uh, yeah. desk episodes a, a priority to come out out, right. of, out so, of order. So if that's the case, then pretty soon <laughs> yes. you're going to see an episode released that where we speak to Mike Merles and Nathan Stewart. And they talk about D&D Next and what's going to happen in the next couple of years and, and about branding, uh, specifically the sort of – you know, video games, board games, movies, and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And they really are approaching it from a brand perspective mm-hmm. so yeah. i think that's, that's sort of more sense. the big and I, news and, and, and than just individual mmo updates it's more about bringing it all together in one package as a, an entire brand and that can only be good for the hobby long term as a whole you know yeah i agree you know, that can just encourage more people young people whatever people who maybe weren't previously interested in getting into D now suddenly they're interested in D because they're they played that video game once or they they picked up the creos as a kid or whatever right Right. Next yep. on our lightning round is Baldur's Gate Two. Dun dun dun. Which did you, either of you play Baldur's Gate Two when it originally came out? I, I had did. babies. <laughs> so is that a yes or no? That's a no. Oh, okay. Sounds like a no. Because I could not afford the time or the money to have video you. games at that point. So yeah, I was having babies, and I did not get a chance to really play that game. So. Well, it turns never out got, never got re- into it. recently reviewing uh, the Murder in Baldur's Gate um, Encounters adventure uh, inspired me to go back and play the original Baldur's Gate game on my iPad. Mm-hmm. Um, and now Baldur's Gate 2 is coming out on, on iPad as well as what iOS devices and Mac and PC. Re yeah, supported. The, the plans yeah. are, are, are to get it onto every platform yep. they can, right? That's right. Yeah. So I think that's that's awesome. I I will go straight from Baldur's Gate one back I, into uh, Baldur's Gate two. So s- I still have my original CDs from the original CD-ROM <laughs> yeah. PC game. For I still both have Baldur's Gate one and two and the expansion. I have I have the uh, Baldur's Gate one and the expansion of that one CDs sitting around here somewhere. But I, I don't even think mine would play on a modern computer. No. I'd have to I'd have to get it from Steam or something. Yeah. The old, m- my yeah. only. As much as I love the fact that they're supporting all these old games, uh, and I'm you know getting the opportunity to play them again is great. They're missing the one that was my favorite, and I'm still waiting for Torment to come out again. 
Because Torment was easily the best. Planescape Torment, Torment was got a lot of good play. Yeah, yeah, it's it's available on Steam though, just probably not on your device. Not on my so. iPad. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> sorry. I, well, maybe they'll get there someday, huh? Yeah, maybe. So, um, the Sundering. <laughs> The Sundering has begun. It is on. It has started. We've been talking about it coming up for a while now, and now it is a thing. Um, We have the Encounter season that I just mentioned a little while ago, Murder in Baldur's Gate, which is Sundering Connected. The first novel in The Sundering is out, The Companions by Ari Salvatore. We are in our second month of reading that in the book club. Uh, The Godborn comes out with Paul Kemp writing it, which we're going to interview Paul Kemp. Well, we already have, but you're going to hear it in just a few minutes. Um, and so the sundering, it is out, it is rolling, it is full bore. Um, aren't you all pumped and excited? Woo! <laughs> I'm pumped you, and excited. You, you can't see me. I've taken off my t-shirt and I'm swirling it around my head. Okay, good. Good. <laughs> good, yeah. How is that for enthusiasm? That is, that is enthusiastic. Well, the question it, is, did you rip the t-shirt off or did you no, just No, I did not off? because t-shirts cost money. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, and, and it's also relevant to note that the Sundering is also being reflected in some of those video game um, releases that they were discussing. So mm-hmm. so it, it is a cross-platform, cross-genre sort of uh, supported event. Um, but at the same time, it's not one of those events where you're getting the Sundering story. It's all just a whole bunch of stories that happen to be taking place during this weird Sundering thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my my fear is that that means I'll never really get the full story of what was going on or why it happened. Well, it's, so we're doing – the book club is doing all of the Sundering books, right? All the Sundering books all year. Yeah. And, and, it's, and it, it is a little weird because there's just the six authors writing uh, Forgotten Realms novels for the next year or releasing Forgotten Realms novels for the next year. Um, and they're all Sundering books except for R.A. Salvatore. Right, so R.A. Salvatore is writing the first Sundering book, and then he's also writing a book that comes out like in the middle of the Sundering that's not a Sundering book. Okay. Because I think they 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 managed to hook him on a contract for two books a year, <laughs> and they only put one of those books in the Sundering. And uh, but you know it's Bob Salvatore and it's a Drist book, so they figured we're not going to not publish an, another Drist book if we got right. it because <laughs> because that's how we run the company. That's that's our profit margin for the entire mm-hmm. company. So. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so there's seven books coming out from Watsi over the next year. Six of them are The Sundering, and one of them is an extra Drist book. I'm waiting for Fifty Shades of Drist. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on. Yeah. Next topic, Final Packet. It's now out. It was announced at Gen Con, and by the time we record now, it's been out for, what, a week or so now? Yes. So you've had a chance to look at it. The Final Packet's done, and, and by Final Packet, that's... that's sh- that deserves some clarification. Mm-hmm. It is the final public playtest packet for D&D Next. They're not done making the game. They're not, you know, they're still playtesting. There's still a lot of work to do. What you see in this packet is not the final product. Um, but they feel like they're close enough to the final product and close enough to what they needed to know that they can go in-house and to their, their closed uh, NDA'd playtesters. Mm-hmm. And they gave us lots of goodies anyway. They did. There's a there's a lot of new stuff in the final packet, the final public packet. It was not horrible. No, it wasn't. Well, Some people said it was horrible. It's not really horrible. No, what was horrible? The one that was horrible was the one that was released right before Gen Con because they took yeah. skills out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This one, 
skills are sort of still out but they're not as yeah but it's not as horrible because of the other stuff they put into it and we're going to talk and and we're going to talk about (laughs) skills when we get to that article later on um but yeah skills are are out ish or close to the new incarnation of skills whether we like it or not and mm-hmm. that's something we can discuss as we go on. But that, but we get all the a bunch of new uh, races. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I was alluding to in the whole bunch of new goodies. Yeah, I was I I was not expecting that. I was kind of shocked about all all the new races that we got. So, anything else we want to talk about in the final packet that we're not going to talk about later on with our um, in depth conversation? I think we'll hit it up later on. All right, we will hit it up here's, then. Here's my prediction: hmm. only seventy percent of the current packet will be included in the rules when they come out when they release them. You think that much, huh? Yep. By that you mean 70% of what's currently in the rules is pretty well set and it'll and it'll be the same or do yes. you, or do you mean 70% of what we currently see will be in the rules uh and then the rest of it will be modules? No, no. I mean it'll be totally 30% will be totally totally unexpected. Okay, so you're saying it's totally about, it's seventy percent done and thirty percent will surprise oh, us. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And I my my bet is it's a little under that. Well, and some of us are in the NDA playtest group, so we yeah. may, we may know more. Uh, <laughs> neither neither Randall nor I are, so right. we can no. make all the you all the guesses. All we want. The, and at this point, I have not received anything through the through the playtest group. Um, that too late. That, that too late. Public, you don't. So. You can't talk about it. I can talk I'm about neither, everything that's out right I'm now. Neither a family or a friend. So there you go. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I feel I should although, be drinking. Although when they, I say that. although they did say that they're looking to expand their their pool of playtesters as they go into this uh, closed playtesting. So you know, you could both probably get in if you wanted to. Oh, I probably. Uh, to, I'm okay. You know, to be honest, I would love to, but I really just can't commit time. the time to it, and I wouldn't want to like beg to get in and then just not really be able to do it. So I hear you. Not going to ask. Well, I think we're Although done I with really the lightning hope, round. Yeah, I really hope Angry DM is in it though, because I think he needs to be in that test. If he's not in the fi- in the final one, <laughs> he should be. Here, here's an open appeal: anyone from Wizards of the Coast listening to this, get the Angry DM from Twitter, get him into the NDA play test. Because seriously, you need to do that. <laughs> and I'm not being snarky. I'm I'm serious, dead serious. He's got some good feedback. He does. Mm-hmm. So done with the lightning round. Done with the lightning round. Boom. All right. Well, in a minute, in a moment, in un momento, we're going to talk to author Paul S. Kemp about his latest book. But before we do that, we need to, of course, remind you about our awesome and super supportive sponsor, Noble Knight Games. Our pick of this episode is the Erebus Kale Omnibus. It's the first three books in the Erebus Kale series by Paul S. Kemp, and it starts the tale that he is continuing with the book that we're going to talk about in a moment. So (laughs) check it out and let them know that the Tome Show sent you. Noble Knight is a long-standing game store specializing in finding out-of-print games while also offering the newest great releases. Including D&D? They got it from any edition. That's right, all of them. What if I want a board game? Card game, minis, or dice? Noble Knight has it all, and at a discounted price. In fact, Noble Knight has over 30,000 unique items on stock. And you know you can trust this Better Business Bureau accredited store with a satisfaction guarantee. Yeah, but I've bought too many things over the years. How can I justify spending even more? Good thing we're talking about Noble Knight, then. 
They'll buy your old gaming things and offer you cash or trade, so you'll be able to keep up with all the great gaming stuff you want. Check them out at noblenight.com. Wow, I'll go today. And be sure to tell them the Tome Show sent you. And now we're back to talk to Paul S. Kemp, author of Godborn, the second Sundering book, and the seventh-ish in the Erebus Kale series. Paul, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks. Great to be back. So uh, we mentioned, uh, or Sam mentioned a second ago, that this is the seventh-ish. Do you want to uh, maybe explain why I might have uh, scripted it that way? Um, sure. Okay. So um, let's see. Is it the seven? The seven and change. Yeah. Well, so um, I created Erebus Kale way back in 2000 with the release of the Sembia series from uh, Wizards of the Coast. So Kale first appears in a novella in what Wizards was then calling a novel in seven parts, but it's really just an anthology with seven different authors writing seven kind of interrelated stories that featured different characters in the same family. So Kale appeared first in print there, subsequently got the first not full-length novel in the Sembia series, Shadow's Witness, and seemed to resonate with the readers, so off we went. We had uh, three books in the Erebus Kale trilogy, and then another three novels in the Twilight War trilogy. And now we are um, up to The Godborn, which is book two of The Sundering, but is still a standalone novel. So, yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess seven-ish fits. Yeah. <laughs> if I add in the short stories, maybe we're creeping up on eight, but, you know, you at least in terms of length. But, but yeah, seven-ish. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what is The Godborn? What's, what's it about? What can I expect to, to find when I pick up the book and start reading uh, well, two things, I guess. The, you know, the, 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 the Godborn, first of all, is part of the Sundering series. So it is um, furthering the Sundering storyline. And the Sundering, you know, I don't want to have a lot of time, so I don't want to spend a, an enormous amount of time on it. But um, it might be helpful for those who don't have context. About 100 in, in, in the in world, about 100 years ago, the Forgotten Realms underwent something called the Spell Plague. And in the course of the Spell Plague, gods died, magic ran amok, and most importantly, perhaps, two worlds that kind of coexisted um, in the same place, except in, in different dimensions, kind of collided, intermingled, and uh, people, places, and things kind of got transposed. So some parts of one of the worlds would appear on this world, and some would appear on the other. And this caused an enormous amount of chaos. And this is all part of what is called in the role of years, the age of upheaval. The sundering, the, the, the event, the, the worldwide event, as it affects the Forgotten Realms in its entirety, is a kind of um, represents a kind of end to the age of upheaval, and these two the, the the biggest part of which is these two worlds are 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 beginning to separate again, and matters are returning to some de- to some degree to where they were before the spell plague. So that's the big sundering event, and 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 events those kind. That whole process is unfolding over the course of the entire series, and each book kind of has a little window, is told at a discrete moment in time, and so you see some of those events and some of the consequences of those events as they unfold, in my case, in the background, to for the most part, of what's happening in the foreground with the characters. So. That's one of the things that's happening. The, the the bigger, I think, more important thing, from at least from my perspective, is that I'm picking up the storyline of Dracic Ribbon and Erebus Kale and Erebus Kale's son, Vason, after the events of the Twilight War. And here what you're getting is a kind of um, closure 
on a lot of the storylines and threads that that were introduced in the earlier trilogies. And um, there are machinations of gods, uh, Mask, the god of shadows, Shar, the god of the goddess of loss and essentially nothingness. Some of the very powerful characters that that had huge roles to play in the Twilight War, Rivalent Tantal, Tracic Riven, um, and then some new characters in the form of Kale's son, Vason Kale, his traveling companion, Orson, and, and so on. So th- all of the, those threads kind of come together and, and tell what I think is a, a fairly kind of epic story that, that advances the Sundering and, and brings closure to those events. I'm trying to kind of dance around saying mm-hmm. too much here. I know sure. it's, I'm being vague, but, um, but it's fun. You know, I, think it's, I think it's a fun book. Dark, very dark, frankly, but it's a fun book. Dark, when you say dark, is it dark because of the sundering and that part of it? Or is it dark because of the storyline that you personally are, yeah. are putting into it? The, the, the latter. It's dark because, oh, wow. you know, and the truth is all of my Irvis Kill novels are pretty, pretty, mm-hmm. pretty dark in terms of their tone. And this continues that and maybe uh, takes it a little step further to some degree. Some of the villains are particularly horrible. Um, so, yeah, it's mostly due to the storyline that I'm telling. The thematic elements are very dark. Right on. I, I like that, by the way. <laughs> Good. Well, and, and it makes, I mean, dark can also be a bit of a pun for the whole thing, right? Given that Kale is connect, directly connected to the power source of Shadow. Well, that's right. I mean, so. <laughs> yeah, well, Ar- Arabus Kale, though, now, now Kale um, seemingly died at the end of the Twilight War, but his son, he's a, he was a shade by the time he died, and by the time that he and uh, his significant other at the time, Vara, conceived um, uh, Vason, you know, Vason is likewise sort of infused with the shadow stuff. Mm-hmm. Although he, as a, as a main character, is really at about 180 degrees from his father. He's raised in an abbey of... Um, of holy men who are in service to um, a monitor, which mm. is uh, who was Lathander in the uh, in the old realms, and then in his new sort of dawn guise is a monitor. So um, he, he has a very strong religious ground. He's much, you know, where his father was a very means ends kinds of guy. Basin is a very principled, idealistic kind of guy, notwithstanding the fact that he's shadow infused and and has this kind of dark heritage. So he was actually a lot of fun to write. Well, you can't have shadow without the light, right? Well, that's right. That's right. And, and, and obviously, you know, it, that's one of the more obvious themes in the novel. But, but um, you know, writing a character like Vason is um, – it, it was much like Abelard Corinthal in the Twilight War, who was a – he was a paladin of Lathander and a, a very principled, idealistic guy, self-sacrificing, noble, brave, that kind of thing. You know, the, the, when you do the kind of characters that I typically do, which are these really – utilitarian-minded sorts of guys who um, just want to get to the result and are happy to take sort of whatever is the easiest path, even if that means sticking a knife in lots and lots of people. It's kind of nice occasionally to get a break from that and write the uh, the more noble kind of character. Sure, you bet. Now, we mentioned that this is uh, a continuation of a, of a somewhat extensive series, mm-hmm. and it's the second book of, of the Sundering series. So... Does this book serve very well as a jumping-on point? Is it easy to pick up on its own and understand what's going on, do you hope? Or is it, should we pick up previous things first? Well, I hope so, yes. I mean, it's, I, I hope that, that that's the case, and I think it is. I wrote it with an eye toward 
um, a new reader picking up the book and, and being able to just jump in and move along. That, you know, that said, I, and I've said this in another venue, I, I, I think that it, it, it rewards an attentive reader and it, it, um, it, it obviously would be helpful if someone is at least familiar with the tropes of the Forgotten Realms. They needn't have read my books, but hopefully they understand sort of how, maybe how magic works in the realms and, and that there's this sort of multifarious kind of pantheon of gods and so forth. And as long as they're familiar with that, they'll be fine. And even if they're not, I mean, judging from some early reviews, some folks have never read any Realms novels before, and they've picked it up and really enjoyed it. So, so yeah, I think, it's, I think it's a solid jumping off point, and that was the intent. But at the same time, I want to write a story that still rewards my longtime readers, too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they'll pick up maybe on some nuances that a new reader wouldn't on first read, but might on second, or might if they decide that they wanted to go back and pick up the kill books, which everyone should do. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Um, um, now... now- this is also a part of this big sundering event, right? And there's a, a series of books covering it. Although the analogy I've heard is think of it like a series of World War II novels. They're not telling the same story, but they're telling the story in sort of the, during the same giant event. So, so what part of the sundering do we learn about through these books? You know, what what little snippets of this larger event are we going to be uh, enlightened? In? Well, in the Godborn, what what you find is that the um, the the chosen of various gods are um, being the the Netherese, the Shadowvar, a very powerful empire ruled by a, kind of a council of twelve powerful wizards and warriors, is um, interested in capturing and and restraining and has already had great success in this regard, many of the gods chosen. Um, although to what end that is, is, is not clear from the events in my novel. Two, the, the Netherese have uh, begun a war with the elves of Mithdranor and uh, the uh, Dales and are mustering forces uh, in the west towards Darlun and Cormir. So there there is war afoot in the heartlands, and we see some of the consequences of that. And then we see this element where the the the, the sort of the ruler of the shadow of our Telamontanthal is capturing chosen and has already captured many. Now it's also clear though that that even Telamont, who's a very powerful individual, and some of the other characters in this book who include, point of view characters include archdevils and sort of demigods, none of them are entirely clear on exactly what is going on. Some of them have little, have different kinds of perspectives on events and have slightly different understandings of what they think is happening or what may be happening, but none of them know for sure. So th- that's kind of the window that we get into the Sundering with the Godborn. And then in Erin Evans' next book, The Adversary, she picks up on this, on this chosen issue pretty dramatically. So, so you can see how they, they're connected by events in that respect and how the series moves the entire Sundering worldwide event forward. Very cool. Very well, cool. we are spending the next year of our book club series uh, also wow. on the, the Tome Show uh, productions line here, um, looking at the Sundering novels, and we'll be talking about uh, The Godborn in some detail um, over the next couple of months here, and we'll talk to you in a few months about that in, in all kinds of glorious spoiler-filled detail, right? Oh, I'd, I'd look forward to that. That would be great. All right. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for joining us. Guys, thank you very much. Have a great evening. All right. Thanks. You too. All right, Bye, all right guys. Bye. 
All right, and that was Paul Kemp. So now it is on to our more in-depth topics. I have 10 minutes on the clock. Uh, and because I didn't shake up the order of anything at all, Randall, you get to go first for the second episode in a row. 10 minutes on the clock, go. Go. So, uh, Legends of the Lore Archive from 9 to 2013. That's this year. Um, classes and subclasses. Uh, going forward, Mike Morales continues to talk about what they're going to do with some of the classes and how they're going to handle um, subclasses in the game. And I kind of like the way he's going with this. They expect that subclasses will handle some of the complexity that people will want in their characters. So um, instead of just playing a wizard, uh, you will play. You can play uh, something that makes that more complicated a little bit down, longer down the line. Um, I sort of got the feeling, and there's another article that sort of um, adds to this later on. Yeah, but, I was going to um, say, there are, there's, there are two sets of articles that really would have gone well together, and that's not how uh, we them. <laughs> that's right, exactly. So I guess you're out of luck there, but... Um, the gist is that your character will start off, you know, kind of basic for the first couple of levels. Um, you know, you're kind of relying on your, your feats and your racial abilities and things like that. And then you'll sort of grow into your class kind of, Mm -hmm. and then you can um, specialize further than that. Um, I want to say it's sort of like prestige classes, but not really because it's more integrated than the, than the prestige classes. Um, although I got the sense that you can multi-class as well. So, um, you know, it's going to be, we'll have to see how that works out as far as balance and stuff. They want to try to lead people away from, uh, they want to be able to give people the option to do all kinds of combos, but they also want to steer away people from what they consider broken combos. Mm -hmm. So how they plan to do that, I'm not really sure. Um, That sounds better on, on, when you talk about it than it would, I think, on paper, but... You know, we'll have to see how that all washes Although out. Although it, it occurred to me because my, my my group actually had this conversation when we looked at the new multi-classing rules in the in the packet. Um, we sort of discussed that it looks a lot like third edition multi-classing, and that basically you can pick and choose levels from whatever class every time you go up a level. Um, and then, but, but but it avoids because of this system you're talking about, they avoid the problems that third edition had with multi-classing because people would just take the first level of a bunch of different classes because first level is when you get all the cool stuff. Right. Well, now the first two levels is sort of your apprentice levels. You haven't right. actually decided exactly. what your cool stuff is yet. So you can yeah. take one level in fighter, and that's fine. You're going to get something for it, but it's not going to be as cool as if you take three levels in fighter. Exactly. Yep. And and you're exactly right about that. And I think that's actually a good way to, to work that, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so it uh, will be interesting to see what that is. Um, so that's yeah, it, it, oh, it kind of uh, gives a good reason for why they gimped the first two levels of every class. Right. Really, yeah, because those um, are your apprentice levels, right? And and my and I mean I knew that, and so I was prepared for. It, but a couple of my players were pretty upset with that August playtest packet, mm-hmm. which was the first one where they really did that, yeah. sort of gimped, you know, everybody for the first right. two levels, uh, because it was such a change from what their characters were from the previous packets, and so they were kind of like, whoa. Um, but you know, with respect to classes and subclasses and and multiclassing and how this is going to work, I actually. Putting it in that perspective makes me like it a whole lot more. Mm-hmm. Now, it also allows – I was going to say one more thing about this, and that was that subclasses also allow them to tailor certain classes to certain campaign settings and even your own DM mm-hmm. setting. As a DM, you might say, well, I'll allow these, these, and these, but this subclass doesn't exist. This one doesn't exist. Um, and it could be that you know you release a campaign setting – uh, down the line, and it has all these new unique classes in it. They're really just, you know, you're still going to have the, your 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 main um, 
ideals like fighter, wizard, you know, rogue or whatever, but you know, they'll have a special um you know, subclass that sort of defines them for that particular campaign. Except section. you're not going to have the wizard. I uh, mage, you're I guess. The mage. Yeah, the mage. <laughs> We're back to the magic user. Second edition, baby. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, now, that's, the the uh, other area where I'm curious to see if they'll address this or if it'll fall into this other idea that they mentioned in this article, because um, they t- you know we have multi-classing. And which would allow me to, to to you know be a fighter and take some you know pick a subclass and fighter and then go be a mage and pick a subclass and mage and, and you know okay great now I'm a fighter or a warrior wizard or whatever right right uh, but some of the subclasses seem like there's potential that they could be pretty dramatically different yeah you know? uh, they even talked very briefly sort of in passing there was a mention that uh, scion could be a a subclass of of mage mage yeah you know? uh, which. My first instinct is that doesn't feel right, but you know we'll see. But but because of that, I don't, I can't multi-class between subclasses, can I? Um, right? Could I take a couple? That's a of, good question. Could I take a couple of levels of wizard and then a couple of level, levels of scion? It doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't see. seem that way. Yeah, that'd be good. That, that is a good question, Sam. I I don't know. And, and Jeff, also, I don't I'm not know Sam. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, but Jeff, I mean, uh, Sam. Yeah. It, because I, I said I yeah, said that yeah. was a good I, I question. Yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, for both of you, I, yeah, um, I think I agree. So I'm not sure what. The yeah. Deal well, is. and 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 that goes back to to the one area of complexity, and it, and he brings up this idea in a couple of different articles, that including this one where they they plan on presenting optional advice, I guess, on building your own subclasses by picking and choosing different pieces from from multiple subclasses and making your own new one. So that could be a solution to that, but that's a pretty I mean, you're relying pretty heavily on people's ability to hack a system to, well, to make that work. What was it? Skills and powers that tried to do that? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it's it's one of those things that's extremely optional, and it's really for players who like to tinker, mm-hmm. really. Now, but if if the subclasses are all similar enough, you know, sorcerer and wizard. Okay, I don't I don't necessarily need to see the need to multiclass sorcerer slash wizard or a warrior slash gladiator or whatever, right? Um, so if they're similar enough, then that's fine. In which case, we just got to be careful because Scion probably shouldn't be a mage. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's just a matter yeah. of keep being aware of, of where you put things. I think, and yeah. if there's two possible; those are the two possible solutions there. Any case, but if you have, but if you have a campaign setting where there's no such thing as magic, but there's lots of mental abilities, mm-hmm. then Scion becomes mm-hmm. your mage. Yes. So you know, I don't know. But we yeah. did that before without calling it the same class. Yeah, perhaps, but. Right, but I think, but they're right. trying to keep the number of classes streamlined, and then mm-hmm. the, then the way they can expand is by just making subclasses, which exactly. is a reason a reason to keep to keep that under. Even no. though you know, in, historically, we didn't call that. Right? The no, I, I get that. I think the solution yeah. I would probably prefer though is create a a psionic class, and then have all the different types of psionics fit as subclasses of that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Instead of having yeah. Scion fit into a mage, have a Psionic class, and then one of the subclasses is Scion, and one of them is Psychic Warrior, and you know whatever. Well, I'm wondering if the reason that they they put, would automatically put Scion under Mage or Wizard is because they are intelligence as the main ability stat. And they've always been described as the Psionic mm-hmm. Wizard. I mean, that's always right. Sort of been. But that's so. but that's what yeah. I mean. So if they're trying to streamline and they're trying to connect things to the sort of prime attribute kind mm-hmm. of idea, then it makes sense that Scion would be a subclass of. of yeah, Mage. but obviously that doesn't always play out, right? Because then you end up with well, of corner, case, corner cases like dru- well, yeah. druids and and paladins and all that. Mm-hmm. Of course. So. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. So, Randall, um, you got two minutes for the next phase. 
Yeah, well, it's going to take longer than that. So <laughs> that's okay. You take up, take up part of mine. Yeah, but um, uh, so let's talk about the next phase, which was discussed uh, just recently on the twenty third. Uh, just came out, and it basically talks about the major things that they plan on doing um, during the uh, super secret uh, ongoing playtest. Um, not super after the secret. <laughs> it can't be super secret if they've announced they're doing it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you uh, common schmoes like me will not know what's going on in that playtest, <laughs> so that's why it's super secret. So, um, first of all, one of the things that they're going to have to fix probably is the math, and I hope what they actually come to the conclusion is is that sometimes it's okay for the math to break a little, just a little, not a lot, but a little. <laughs> and <laughs> so we'll see. I, I want it largely consistent, but I don't want it cookie cutter consistent like I felt it was in 4E. Sure. So that's my that's my opinion. Yeah, I know a lot of people might disagree with me there, but I just you know that's that's you get that feel. So that's one thing. Um, well, I, so that's so. actually the most controversial thing that I've heard people, sort of hardcore gamers. Mm-hmm. I don't want to just say the general person, but hard hardcore gamers that that I know and that I'm friends with. Their biggest complaint is, why aren't we playtesting the math? Yeah. Because to them, that seems like a really, really important piece of the core system that they didn't have us play test in the public play test. And that to them, to the, I, I don't actually ascribe to this. This isn't my own opinion, but it's what people have been having conversations with me about is that that should be one of the main parts we were play testing. Yeah, and they didn't yeah. do much to change it. I mean, the math on like the monster stats and stuff was always clearly broken. Sure, um, and they and they said and, so. they, and they admitted it and and always sort of said, yeah, well, we we know that we'll fix it. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not worried about that. You know, I right. feel like the math is one of those things that it's not hard to figure out that it needs fixing and and how to fix it. It's just a matter of keep tweaking and then test it again and then tweak it and then test it again. And you, it, it's just repetitive and I think right. boring. And you would lose a lot of people pretty quick if you asked for a public playtest on that. Yeah. Oh, I I don't disagree necessarily. I just I'm just saying that oh, there are you. some people that are you know their their biggest problem is you know why weren't we playtesting the math too? Because sure. that's a big because for them you know one of the you know so on one one half of them are fourth edition fans and they really like the fact that fourth edition had such transparent math and was mm-hmm. so balanced and they're wondering what fifth edition is going to do mm-hmm. and then right. the other half didn't like fourth edition at all. They liked that it was transparent so they could tinker with it, but they didn't like the balance so they wanted they want to have a say in the fact that you know they don't want the math for this edition to be as balanced as fourth edition was they want to you know stop the overbalance and so right. there's this you know push pull idea about how much control a playtester should have or how much feedback a playtester should have about the actual mathematics of the game one one thing's so. for sure is when it is finally released half of the people will love it and half of the people <laughs> will absolutely hate the math and that's how it'll always be but anyway. oh yeah um, yeah, yeah. So the right. next two, the next two things are these optional systems, and I'm going to go ahead and speak my piece about these, and then I'll let you all take it, because I, quite frankly, I think it's ridiculous. Can, can, we, can we point out optional? Optional, I know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> why, why bloat your system and charge me more money for a book for stuff you don't need in a book? That's so. Do, so don't <laughs> get it. It's an option. No, it's not an option. It's, it's actually- an option within the same book. It's a, it's not an option I get to buy later. You don't know it's that. It's an option within the same book. You have no idea how they're gonna how they're gonna package this. Yeah. You may have a valid complaint, but you have no idea if you have a valid complaint. Wait okay, t- fine. Wait, wait till you have a complaint, and then and then complain. And and so the and the and the first one's the optional combat system. And, I, and like okay, you know, I've they had that in three five. That's it's, great. Yeah, it's, it's they the had a whole section. Stuff. 
Yeah, that's the tactical stuff. We've been doing that for a while now. I'm comfortable with that. Um, it's sort of redundant to have a storytelling section that's specifically for games involved storytelling. D&D is a storytelling game. <laughs> and so well but it's not a storytelling game in the way in the way modern gaming defines it and that's the problem right well, I, there i hear you <laughs> well and, and here's and my I, and i don't mean to jump all over you but that is the problem right there no i understand this is a oh because all these other guys this is the fashion now and uh-huh. this is what everyone's loving to play now which is fine whatever now we have to do the same thing here's, i think that's here's silly what, and over i think it's going to be done wrong probably because it's not <laughs> It's not part – D&D is already about storytelling gaming. You don't need to do a special module about how to do a story. Every ga- every uh, player's handbook and every DM guide has had a section in it about how to conduct your game, how to make it a story as you go along. You don't need any more than that. You really, right. really don't. What, what it is, is it, it, you're, you're not wrong. It is them trying to tap into a market that's interested in a different style of game. What, regardless of whether you call it a storytelling game or not, a different style of game that involves more collaboration amongst the players instead of a DM building things and whatever. Um, the, the trick to me is there's a bunch of games, good games, well-developed games, generic games that can very easily apply to your D&D game that already exist. You know, there's no reason I can't take a, a you know, a, a, a quote story, right. storytelling game and say, okay, well, we're going to do a session or two this style now. Same campaign, same characters, and then we'll just jump right back into the D&D rules when it's appropriate. Um, so there's no reason you can't take elements of that already and play it, add it to the game. I'll be curious. I'm not upset. I'm not upset with them. I'll be curious to see what they come up with that they think is different enough or integrated enough to what D&D is to make it worthwhile. That's well, not what I'm looking for. What, what I'm expecting, and this is why I won't be disappointed in the product, what I'm expecting is I'm not the audience for that. Sure. Because I already know those things exist. I already know I can do those things. I can do both the things that you both of you are talking about. I can do all that. Mm-hmm. I have you know 50 different RPG systems over there on my shelves that I extensively used, and I know how to do all that. So I'm not the target. You know who the target is? Somebody who's only ever played D&D. Or someone who's brand new and has ha, therefore has only played D and D and for a short amount of time and wants something else, wants something slightly different to make it available to them as a D and D product is a good thing. And honestly, I think I'm a little bit of the target, you know, um, because every now and then, like I like I just described, um, I had my one to thirty fourth edition campaign, and now as we're wrapping up, uh, well, as we're thinking about wrapping up our, our current campaign. Okay, we're still a ways away from that. But in any case, I'm thinking ahead to the next campaign, and one of the things I'm thinking is, hey, we could go back to that 1-30 to 30 campaign and do it story t- as a storytelling-style game because they're gods and stuff now. I don't need you know, combat mechanics and all that, but let's tell a story bringing back, going back to those characters. You know, so having that ability is cool to me. Um, now, again, I have games that can do that. Right. What's D&D going to add that I don't already have? I'm interested to see. It, it will be very interesting to see. And... and- and I'm more irked than anything else because it seems like pandering to me. To me, it <laughs> seems, it really it does. Um, and, and of course, I'm a little I'm being over dramatic here because hey, it's a podcast and we're here to entertain, <laughs> right, folks? So you know, there's a little bit of that. I mean, I mean, but I'm not far off in the fact that it, it's a little irksome because it does seem like pandering. It's like guys, D and D has a long and rich history. Use it. You don't have to do these other things to sort of fit in. And quite frankly, this goes back to 4e. Being like what everyone else was playing at the time when 4E came out. What were they all playing, guys? They were playing MMOs. 
So, you know, I just this it kind of goes back. It's like, guys, maybe you just you know look at at D and D as you know as with its rich history. Well, let me move on. I'm sorry. Yes. I, I'm, well, I'm wait, but let, let, can I can I respond me. to that? Because no, you're, you're in. You're not allowed. You're, Whatever. You're in my five minutes, right? So I, I gave you five of my minutes. Oh, I right? think we're, our, our articles are going to overlap so much that we're yeah, going to so all go it, fine. So here's the thing about that, though. The thing about that is you and I, Randall, I can look at that rich history of D&D and I could pull any number of books off my shelf and look at how it did it and tweak it and play with it and look at another book and look at three different editions, four different editions, you know, sure, sure. And, and play with all those things to, to make it just exactly the way I want it. But um, if you're not like me, who's I've been playing since I was eight, and I have a really good memory, mm-hmm. if someone's not like me, then how do they know to look back? And how do they know what to pull out? And how do they know what to pick? And how do they know what to, what to look at in terms of D&D's rich history, as you describe it? And, and I agree. You know, and, and how do they know how to take that and turn it into a, a sort of more storytelling-focused, collaborative you know, game? Obviously. But Sam, you're missing my point just a little bit, and that's that what I mean by that is that I don't think that players have to go back and look at D&D's history. I think the designers need to look at D&D's history, and when they're writing rules for how you conduct your game, oh, those see, are the kinds I, but, of things that, yeah. that, that I'm talking about. I'm not talking but, about right. No, I, so yeah. So let me just say this then, um, but that's not what they're trying to do, right? They're already doing that. This is a, is something that's completely separate from that, right. and and that they want to offer as an option, which is, that is completely different. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> I don't. That's the definition of you know, That's the definition yeah. of option. It is unnecessary, right? right. It's, <laughs> it's but I'm just saying, like, so I get, I get what you're saying now, um, but I get, but think about what I'm saying though. In that they're they're doing that already, what you're describing. But also maybe they said, well, what about a player who might want something slightly different from what D and D has always offered. And that's so. That's what they're trying to offer. And the more people you know, they can bring into D and D, the better. Well, I mean, you know, whatever. <laughs> I, for me, it's really you know what it's really going to depend on. It's really going to depend on who they're and and which systems they're using as their inspiration for building this stuff into D and D and making yeah. this an optional module, and yeah. who they're getting to come in and be their freelancers for that, mm-hmm. um, and what and what kind of projects those people have been doing. You know, and 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 that kind of thing. You know, if it's just going to be an in-house, you know, thing where all the people who who are already D and D designers are going to suddenly go storytelling. You know what? It may be great. It may not. Mm-hmm. Um, I recommend to them, in case they're listening, as <laughs> Randy said earlier. Uh, <laughs> you know. Pull in some freelancers who are really experienced. Talk to Jason Morningstar. Talk to Fred Hicks. You know, talk to Rob Donahue. Mm-hmm. You know, talk to those people who, you know, talk to uh, – who's the guy that wrote Microscope? I can't remember. Ben – Ben. oh, I feel bad now. Who's the guy that wrote Microscope? I'm going to have to go. I'm going to have to go edit and then it's going to be – I've never heard like, of Microscope. Oh, Microscope is a great – it's a great world-building, historical-building game for your – for your, if you don't have a world, you you can sit around and and collaboratively create your world, your new setting, and then run your game in it. Ben Robbins, that's who it is. Ben Robbins wrote Microscope. Um, it's a it's an interesting little sort of collaborative storytelling game that you can build an entire you know history of your RPG world and then play your campaign during one. You know, at the end of that, you know, at whatever time point you stop building that world. Anyway, I'm getting way off on a tangent, but you get my point. Like, if it's just the D and D designers sitting around, 
then it's probably not going to be as good as it could be. Not yeah, that there's anything much, wrong with them, a lot of they're them, steeped in D&D, right? They're great designers, but they're steeped in D&D. Yeah. I'm sure they've played a lot of the, uh, the storytelling games or whatever, but mm-hmm. it's, it's different than being an expert in it who's designed a lot for it. Right. Right. And like I said, I, I'm not trying to disparage the D&D designers. They're great designers, but, but they're, that's, they're steeped in D&D. They're not, they're not steeped in storytelling, you know, collaborative storytelling format. Right. So talk to people and, and bring those people in. If you're really going to make a module that, that you want to be a big hit, then that's what they need to do. Yeah. Well, Otherwise, uh, I'm skeptical. Like I Randy. look forward to see what they do. Yeah, me too. Uh, so let me. There's a couple more points here. Then Sam, well, I promise we'll get to you. <laughs> the fourth, <laughs> the fourth one's pretty quick because we already talked about um, subclasses and things like that, and about yeah. building your own and stuff. So it basically talks about that. Yeah. Um, but the last one, they did end on a high note for me because this, to me, I think is very important and, and has been lacking in, in some recent versions of the game. Mm-hmm. And that's that. Um, you know the campaign system. You know there are things that your character does in this downtime, and part of becoming a heroic legend when you're playing D and D, and it's more than just getting levels. It's you know you you get the castle, or you build the keep, or or you found a church, or you start your own wizards academy. You know pottery or store, or that, <laughs> <laughs> or uh, or you know less auspicious things. Maybe you just want to own a small house with a yard, right? Be a, so, be a, a, um, could, be a bard that actually performs, you know? Exactly. <laughs> uh, maybe you're part of a touring band. But but they want to include some rules that um, help you build those kinds of things in your character, what they call a character's downtime, when you're not fighting monsters and taking their stuff. So um, I, think that's a, I think that's a good thing. I think that needs to be added. Uh, I think it's an important part of the game. Uh, one of the things that I love, especially when I was playing first edition back in the day, was looking through the rules and seeing what you could do in the future when you would get followers and stuff and then mm-hmm. you know i had a great i had a dm it was great that would let you you know he'd work with you to map out your castle or whatever and he'd figure up all the costs and all the other stuff it was awesome great stuff not for everybody absolutely not for everybody uh, a lot of people just want to go from you know uh from dungeon room to dungeon room and, mm-hmm. and and it's all action all the time and that's fine but um for a character you know for someone who wants to play a character that has a has rich activities both on the table and off, if you will. Um, I think those kind of rule inclusions um, will be important. So I'm looking forward to that part. And if you don't want to use it, it's optional. There That's you go. Right. <laughs> I actually, I, I think that it's the the absence of that sort of rule set, mm-hmm. optional or not. The absence of that is one of the things you know because the game you know mm-hmm. has moved more and more towards encounter based design. Yes, right. You know. And when you do that, you sort of then focus on the encounter because you want to get it perfect. And so, you know, I mean, I loved fourth edition. Okay, I really did. I think it has does some great things, but it's really focused on the encounter to the detriment of everything else. Now, a great DM can, of course, bring in all those other things on their own. But but if you have a new DM or someone who doesn't who who doesn't have enough confidence to do that kind of stuff or who doesn't really it doesn't have time to do it, you know, then you don't get that stuff in your game. And so I think to have the optional the optional module or whatever they're going to call these, then I think that's a really good thing. So I'm looking forward to that too. Yep. I agree. Yep. Cool. All right. I am going to only do one of my articles in the interest of time. Okay. Um, and Go so I'm going to skip the scaling complexity one. Cause we kind of already talked about that in the classes discussion. Is that fair? Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to focus on, on skills. Okay. Um, because I feel like skills is the weakest part of D and D next mm. that we've seen to date. Is this the article on uh, September 16th? This is the article on September 16th, the latest on skills. 
And I think, and where you and when you say weak, I think it's important to note that it's really been weak because they keep going back and forth on it and mm-hmm. doing and trying out a lot of different things. So right. I think it's been weak because I have yet for them to implement a single one of them that I actually thought was fun. <laughs> well, there you go. Then. That'll do it. Yes. yes All right, the it. show's over. Thanks for listening. <laughs> I haven't been happy with any. Like I've tolerated all the skill systems they've tried, but I haven't been excited about any of them. I kind of just wish we could go back to third edition version of skills and call it good. Because I was actually fairly happy with that. But we'll see what they do here. Um, they've talked. They talked a, a bit about how in the August uh, packet that came out, they they co- took skills out, which we mentioned before, and now with the the September packet, they've added skills back in as sort of an option. And part of the idea was they wanted to highlight sort of their philosophy in that um, ab- ability stats are are you know pr- they have primacy over everything. Yes. You know, so your strength, con, dex, wisdom, int, charisma, that's the important stuff. And skills are subordinate to that. And, and they talk about how even in the philosophy of how they organize the book and, and how they organize the text, that's made clear. Because it's not make an athletics check, it's make a strength athletics check. Right. Which they, you know, he even describes uh, in, in here, you could also ask for a wisdom athletics check to determine the difficulty of scaling that cliff before you actually start scaling the, scaling the cliff. Um, yeah. So stuff like that, where you can actually, you know, your skill could apply to other ability checks as well. And, and we've known that was sort of the, the philosophy for, I don't know, forever since, since they announced next, right? That, was, right? that was early on. They talked about how ability scores are going to be supreme and, and skills and all that are going to be secondary. Um, where they, they've actually started to give some more details on, on an idea that they've kind of hinted at before for us is this concept of, of proficiencies. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, proficiencies in a skill, which is a, a basically a, a bonus you get towards, towards your skills. Um, but then um, the – what do they call it? There, there's the thing where you get a bonus for, your, for certain um, tools. Is that the proficiency? Right. I, I, I like to call that non-weapon proficiencies. Right. Because like that goes back to the second edition, right? <laughs> it sure Going does. back, Randall, to 1986. Wow! Right. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> um, and, and sort of the – what that's – the only concern I have there is that it, it's creating yet another subsystem, you know? Um, and that was part of the problem with second edition is that it was just a series of, of various mm-hmm. subsystems that had nothing to do with each other. Yeah. Um, and And – you run the risk here of that, right? Because you have skills now, and then you also have these these tool proficiencies that give you a bonus when you're using specific kinds of tools. So we don't need to have a craft skill anymore. We can just say you are proficient with blacksmithing tools. That's you know effectively right. the same thing as, as a craft blacksmith. Right. Yeah. Um, or you have a proficiency in thieves' tools for picking locks or whatever. You know, or or disabling traps, or you know, on all that. And well, so, and there's also another layer there too, because I think. Um, oh, never mind. No, I think it is worded that if you you cannot attempt to even pick a lock unless you have proficiency with thieves' tools. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. So, right. so it, you it don't puts have to another, be a thief, though. You don't have to be a thief, but you have to have proficiency with thieves' tools. So mm-hmm. it puts a layer there that's sort of a it's a wall to jump over. So you can be able to pick locks if you're not a thief, but it's going to be a little harder for you to get that. Sure. 
And if you do that, you of course sacrifice. If your character you sacrifice would something, good at else, something yeah. else, and mm-hmm. I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing as far as character. Oh no, no, I'm so, saying it's yeah. a good thing actually because yeah. it, it it sort of. But but in terms of Jeff talking about adding, you know, these other subsystems, <laughs> oh, that's sort of another. Place. Yeah, it's another it layer that you have to remember. Mm-hmm. Because there are still some limited skills, right? You have like skills, and then you have items. It's like a combination pack, right? It's skills uh, and proficiencies, basically, I think. Right, but the yeah. proficiencies are with items. Yes, so, right. or, or with tools or whatever. Or yeah. tools, or right, yeah, yeah, objects. So, you know, hmm. You know, it's kind of, that's a little, it's strange because, you know, do I pick skills? Do I pick items? You know, mm-hmm. how does that work? Are, are any of these synergistic with each other? Well, and there's always been, so, I mean, that's always been a little bit um, iffy anyway. I mean, I like the idea of having a craft blacksmithing skill because I could use it to blacksmith something or I could use it to go into a blacksmith shop and talk intelligently to that guy because I, I have the skill and I can prove that I know what I'm doing. Right. Or, or I can appraise this thing or whatever. Well, I'm not actually using the tools to appraise the quality of this blacksmith. Right. Yeah, but to this, me, those would the, be separate things, yeah. Right, but but I feel like I would have to allow the proficiency bonus to, bonus to count there because that's, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. If I'm proficient in using this tool, I'm, I'm a proficient blacksmith, I should be better able to determine whether or not somebody else is a good blacksmith. Right. You know, without relying ent- entirely on mm-hmm. uh, an intelligence check or whatever. Right. So, yeah, so, I, so there's a little bit of... of Smoothing out the rough edges there, I think that that uh, we'll see how how well I I come to acclimate to it over time. <laughs> My um, prediction is that will be part of the rules that will be completely different when we get the final version. It may be. It yeah. may be. I think they 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 purposely were trying a bunch of different stuff to see. Although I have to say that this article wins the award for the biggest understatement of any D and D next article so far. Do you want to hear the statement? Yeah. Sure, please. <clears throat> It's clear from the latest round of feedback that removing skills entirely isn't a popular option. (laughs) (laughs) That's the biggest understatement I have ever heard. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It was like the scream heard around the world when people saw that the skills were gone. You know what I'd like to see if I had – my system that I'd prefer would be to simply group um, activities under your ability scores. In other words, Mm -hmm. if you have strength, you can do these following things. You get a bonus based on your strength ability. And as um, and then if you do use certain tools, you get like a plus one, and that's it. And, well, and the like the July packet had a something similar to that in the DMs part of the in the DM guide part of the of the packet. It had okay. like if you have these attributes, here's the things you can do with that attribute. Right. And it, and then it gave like the the difficult, easy, and intermediate skill DCs for trying to attempt that particular action. Mm-hmm. And, then you and I really hold, I really yeah. liked that layout because you could just look at the at the attribute and it tells you what it's good for. And then you can fold some of those things under like your background. And if you mm-hmm. do that, then you can maybe give a, get, get another plus one bonus. Like for example, because of your background, because you've been you know you've raised mm-hmm. to do you know you're a fisherman or you're you, you know you're a cobbler or whatever. Well, let's get a little bit but, more into the basics right. of what they have announced and, and see if that suits some of the needs that you're discussing as well. Because um, because it's you you basically you you can choose to be proficient at a skill. And mm-hmm. once you're proficient in a skill, you get to add your proficiency bonus. And every class on their on their chart has proficiency bonuses listed, like you know a, an attack bonus. And in fact, it, it is also your attack bonus and your bonus to saves. And you know it, it, it's it's this weird sort of bonus that applies to a whole bunch of things, including skills. Yeah. Um, and so, my my first instinct when we looked at it was like, wait a minute. So now. Th- 
now saving throws are kind of crazy, right? Because the DCs are generally 10, and I get, you know, my bonus is now going up, and pretty soon I'm going to get to a certain level where it's going to be, you know, I make all, every save pretty much automatically. Uh, until we realized that all it's the way capped all, at six. All, yeah, all the way from 1 to 20, it's yeah. capped at 6. So it's not growing quickly. Right. Um, and then they, they some classes, most notably, they, they say the uh, the rogue, which is you know has the option of being the skill monkey class, right. um, can become experts in certain skills, which gives them an additional plus five. Um, and so th- there's just these handful of classes that that on a handful of skills have the opportunity to get up to a plus twelve. He says. Yeah. Um, by by stacking a few things, so you you do have the opportunity to have I am the master blacksmith or whatever, right? Because um, you can you can do that, but it's but it's it's a little more difficult to pull off than it was maybe in some previous editions. Was maybe isn't all bad, um, and then you combine that with the proficiencies things for for um, using stuff to do your yeah. things. Um, well, to me, all those working yeah. parts means that people will deliberately game the system. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I want you a think they're, they're that being, is more they're being egalitarian. Too, they're being I'm too sorry. clever for their own good, right? And when they're Maybe. trying to design this, good. I, I, you know, to be honest, I like a little. The, I like the expertise dice idea because yeah. it was so simple. It was, was so neutral. simple, though. Think oh, but, about yeah. it. But, but they so announced simple. they announced they're taking that out. Yeah, I know, but that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Though it's so simple. You know what? If you're good at this, it you was. just add a d6 to your roll. It's so. Yeah. And it, if you want to get really good, next time you get a bump, you can either take another skill with the d6, or you can bump that up to a d8. That well, is so you, simple. You talk about you talk, talk about being wonky, though. Why not? If you if you're going to do a d6, then why not just do a plus three? That's that's even less. Well, but see what it, right? But what you're but what you're uh, what you're pointing out though is that the reason that we don't really know how skills and proficiencies and all that crap is going to work is because they haven't perfected <laughs> it's the been math. all over the place. Exactly. No, because they don't know what the math the is going to be. Do, yeah. So they've been trying these systems out just to see how people like them. But they this the skill system, to be perfectly honest, is probably going to be one of the last things they do. Mm-hmm. Because they have to get all the math set before they start adding in these bonuses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that they can accurately determine how much that bonus is going to sway it so that they know whether that bonus is big enough or not big enough. Right? I'll, I'll know that when a party of six doesn't take down my one ogre in, a, in, in two <laughs> rounds that the math is right. If they continue to take an ogre down in two rounds <laughs> – an ogre. It's the oh, yeah. No, it's, don't, don't forget, my my fourth level characters took down a fourteenth level dragon in two rounds. I know. I'm even breaking it down simpler. <laughs> than just that. making it more easy. <laughs> I'm making it simpler than that. And if that if that if that math doesn't it still doesn't work, then that's going to be a problem. So that's All right. my prediction. Yeah. Sam, it's your turn. Go. All right, it's my turn. I have a really quick one. Uh, I was going to talk about the final countdown article, but it's so old, and, and we basically covered everything. Um, if, you, if you've been keeping up with the articles, it's kind of nice because you get little chunks of stuff as you go, and, and so it wouldn't seem like old hat, but, but uh, we're just going to skip that. I'm going to talk about the, uh, the September 24th uh, Wandering Monsters article by James Wyatt. Um, or maybe I should say by Gary Gygax, because basically yes. <laughs> all of this is copied almost directly from the first edition Monster Manual. Woohoo! Oh, sorry. I took my so, shirt off again, Sam. <laughs> hey, I, I got around. Randall. I got Randall to get half naked. <laughs> That's right. Wait, is um, that good or bad? I, I'm not sure. At least he's <laughs> in the cigarette. I'm at home. It's a good thing. <laughs> It's a real good thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so um, seriously, I, I literally I read these and I thought, wow, yeah. And so I opened up my my monster manual, and literally some of these things have had a few words switched, um, <laughs> and and they're you know and it's basically 
you know, the first edition monster manual. So um, describing the, the, the Boulet or Boulet or the Boulet, however you want to pronounce it, I don't really care, um, that it, it doesn't like elves. It doesn't like the taste of dwarves. Uh, it, 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 in, in, the, in the monster manual, it says, oh, but it loves halflings. It doesn't go that far here. <laughs> um, and then uh, it talks about leaping out of the out of the ground to attack. It talks about how it's stupid and mean. All of that stuff is directly from the first edition uh, Monster Manual. And the Manticore, same kind of idea. They love the taste of human flesh. They're dimly intelligent. They look kind of like lions. They have is the you know, is the Bulette art even the the first edition art? It, it's actually so. There's two pictures of a, of a Bulette in the Monster Manual. The first one's on the face page, the the title page of the of the book. That's the picture that's in this article. Okay. Where the where the picture for the actual entry for the Bulette is horrible <laughs> in the in the Monster Manual. This, <laughs> this one's this actually one's not too good. <laughs> well, this <laughs> one's the better one if that tells you anything. I actually don't mind this, this art. Is the, kinda, this is the cute Bulette. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but you know things like the owl, the owl bear. Uh, mm-hmm. And how it talks about you know how you know they're probably the crossbred creation of a demented wizard and they how they grab the foe with both claws and and then he, hold it and attack again. It's it, it, this is so close to the the first edition monster manual that if anybody answers anything other than this is exactly what the first edition you know this is because I think when you answer the poll the question is you know. Do these things uh, do they sound like how it how it is historically? Well, this is literally almost back to the beginning. So, <laughs> um, now whether you like it or not, that's a different story. Right. But you know, so uh, so if you are an, an old school kind of fan, understand that some of the stuff they're doing, you know, it it really is harkening right back to to the basics. Uh, and that that this particular article, I picked it because it is so very close. So close. I loved it. Almost it copy was, and pasted from the. Uh, it was a beautiful it, almost, thing. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And if you want to not, just call it a land shark. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. that's easier than trying Bullet, to pronounce the stupid French word. Says, so yeah. It says absolutely called a land shark. In fact, yeah. that's that's pretty much you know word for word as well. Yep. <laughs> well, is is the is the monster? Um, it doesn't have any real world mythology. Um, analogy does it is completely created a by land it. shark. Land shark doesn't. Manticore, I think, comes from no, 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 a, yeah, Manticore Assyrian does. stuff. But yeah, but but the bullet doesn't. Yeah, no. So you can't claim that it's a French word because there's no. It's not like it came from French mythology. <laughs> well, no, yeah. And if you, and if you don't that. claim that it's French, then yeah. it's not boulet. I actually, I think it is I, a French word. I just don't know what it means in French. I, so. I think it's supposed to be like bullet because it's really bullet shaped, but it has that kind of dorsal fin. Yeah, but that sounds that dumb, so I don't call it. <laughs> well, I know, and that's why I think people, you know, call it other things, right? Although what the what the first edition monster manual says about the the boulet that that is not said in this article. Um, is the history? It, it's it has the history of the owl bear and the manticore and everything. But here's the history of the bulette from the first edition monster manual. The bulette or land shark was thought to be extinct until recently, when this horror reappeared. It was the result of a mad wizard's experimental crossbreeding of a snapping turtle and an armadillo, with infusions of demons' ichor. That's that's how you made how the first bulette was made. That's hey, not. Sam, in, I gotta interrupt you here. I what? Just, I remember reading this now. I'd forgotten mm. that it was originally inspired by a plastic toy. That's one of those. Like the, Rus- the Rust Monster. That's like the Rust Monster was yeah. like that, too. The original, yeah. yeah, a cheap plastic toy. So, yeah. Yeah. 
So, well, that's 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 that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's so many in there that are like that. There's five or six yeah. at least. I'm on the Wikipedia page for it, too, where it also gives five different pronunciations. So, according, yeah. to, according to Wikipedia, all of them are right. That's correct. Yes. Because <laughs> someone went on there and said, what? That's not how you pronounce it. And then they went in and added it. <laughs> yeah. This this creature, even though it's more dangerous, it borders on silliness like the flump. But it's <laughs> it's pretty awesome, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's one of those. I mean, the owlbear is the same way. If you think mm-hmm. about it, the owlbear is completely ridiculous, but right, it, it works in D anD D because of maybe because of its long and storied history. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, we- even the manticore with the 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 poisonous spines is is a very you know it's a sort of pseudo mythological mm-hmm. version of something that is really would be horrific in real life because it also is smart enough to speak so mm-hmm. that can be really jarring. I mean it's it's a good creature. I like the manticore, but you know uh, the pseudo dragon is kind of boring compared to the other three in my mind. But you know, uh, but the pseudo dragon was always the best. Um, uh, familiar that you could get. Oh, of course, yeah. It was, was the most like, awesome. A hundred or something. To it was get always one. a better uh, NPC than it was a monster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. All right, we yeah. are anyway, we are over over an hour, and we haven't even put in the uh, the interview yet. So I think it's got time to go ahead and wrap this oh. thing up. Some the interview is the best part, guys. Yeah, the interview is the best part. That's why we put it in the front. <laughs> <laughs> Of course, if they're hearing this, it's too late. We've suckered you in. You yeah, listened to all of our You fell for it again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. Um, so that's all, well, the, all the time we have. Yeah. In any case, we want to thank our sponsor, Noble Knight Games, as always, as well as all of the people who are listening to us and, and who support us and who shop at Amazon and dndclassics.com through our Tome Show affiliate links. Uh, you click on there. You buy whatever you want. Didn't somebody buy a vacuum one time or something, Jeff? Oh, yeah, we've, we've got we, vacuums, we get, we got protein yeah. powders, we got all kinds yeah. of things. We get a, a couple <laughs> of pennies for that. So, you know, uh, if you're going to buy something from Amazon anyway, you might as well just click through there and, and shop. Uh, or from Noble Knight and tell them that the Tome Show sent you. And also, you can get a hold of us at thetomeshow.com. You can email us at thetomeshow at gmail.com. Or you can call the very famous or infamous BizLine at 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. That's 919-BizTome. And until next time, this is Jeff Greiner signing out for myself, Sam Dillon, and our man in the depths of White Plume Mountain, Randall Walker. Hey, hey. Keep on gaming, Tomites. Mm-hmm.